Pray with me. Father, who would have thought, who would have known that a God as holy as you could reach so deeply into our lives? We who live in a world that is unholy, 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 and you live in perfect holiness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through eternity past. You have always lived in holiness, and Lord, to hear today that your holiness reaches to us in our loneliness and includes us is great news for people like us. We live in this amazing big city, and we can live in absolute solitude, though we are surrounded by millions of people. But today, Lord, I thank you for the community that we find in Christ And Lord, we thank you for your holiness and that you are making us holy. And I pray, Lord, that you will not stop until your perfect work in our lives is complete. And help us, Father, not to succumb to discouragement when we look at our lives and see how far we still have to go to become like Christ our Savior. I thank you, Lord, for your determination and your promise that you will finish what you have started in us. And I pray that today would be one giant leap forward, Lord, as you make us your people, your holy people. Oh, holy God, we pray this in the holy name, the matchless name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. God is good all the time. Choir, can I just say that could not have been better. That was just marvelous. I give God glory for that. And uh, Carla is so thankful for the leadership, for the way he worships and leads us to worship. And we are delighted. And I noticed uh, Fred Cameron there, who's beginning today. He and Princess, we should congratulate them. Their, their sixth decade of life together. Yesterday was their 50th wedding anniversary. Let's give God glory for that. Amen. He does not like it when I draw attention to him, by the way. But <laughs> nevertheless, that's a, that's a big accomplishment and a great, a great day. And we thank God. Well, last week we started thinking about God the Father. And we ended on this crescendo to the praise of his glorious grace. Think about it. He has chosen us. He has predestined us to be adopted into his family as his children. But even as I preached and as I dialogued and received emails this week, I realized that that very subject can create some consternation in some of our home groups that met this week. They meet together once a week and discuss the sermons, which challenges me to work hard. And they met together and talked about this. And it was a lively conversation. I would point to um, a passage in, in This Magnificent Salvation Uh, in chapter 3 where I talk about uh, I. Howard Marshall's uh, evaluation and thoughts about God's sovereign grace. And I, I want you to understand that every time you encounter a mystery, something so great about our infinite God that you're just overwhelmed by it, that's a good place to build an altar. And the whole context is not controversy but worship. It's Paul, 201 consecutive words without a comma or a period saying to the praise of his glorious grace. He is all caught up in the grace of God and all he can say is bless God, 
Bless our glorious God for his glorious grace to us. And if I may say, um, God creating us and his sovereignty coming together with our free will, that, that may cause some of us confusion. But I remember the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. They asked him, how do you reconcile the sovereignty of God and the free will of humankind? And he said, I don't. I never try to reconcile Friends, And in the scripture, those two teachings lie side by side. And we're always trying to explain something away. The Arminian will say, well, we make too much of election. And perhaps the Calvinist will say, well, we make too much of free will. But the, the truth is they're friends and they lie side by side. And I would encourage you to continue to seek the Lord in that. Because the dilemma of God, somebody has said God's gamble was that he gave us free will. And in giving us free will, it's, it's rather like, as Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And Leith Anderson talks about that verse and, and tells about a certain shepherd who had a wandering lamb. And he had marked all of his sheep as his own. But he put a little notch in the ear. No sheep were heard in this story. But he put a little notch in the ear of that lamb so that he would always be able to find it. And one day it wandered away and he couldn't find it. And some years later he found himself at an auction. And looking at the sheep coming across in the auction, he saw that little lamb now grown up to a full-grown sheep. And he went to the auctioneer and said, that's my sheep. He said, how do you know? He said, well, it's got my mark on it and... It's got a notch that I put in its ear because it was always wandering away. And the auctioneer said, well, I don't know whether it was sold. I don't know. You'll have to bid like everybody else. And so he began to bid on that sheep, and he bought that sheep. And when everybody else found out, you know how this goes, that he wanted that sheep? Well, suddenly they all wanted that sheep. And so the price of the sheep went way up, and he, he paid far above the market value of that sheep. And Leith Anderson says that story is our story because we wandered away. We have not loved God as he intended for us to love him when he created us. We have not honored him as he deserves honor. We have not given him his worth. And yet when we wandered away, he sent his only son down into this world to find us. And when the auction time came, he bought us at much higher than market value. He purchased us with his own blood. The same heavenly father who chose us and predestined us to be adopted. That same one sent his son whom he loved. And that son whom he loved redeemed us and released us from our sins and revealed the heart and will of God the Father to us so that we could be reconciled to Him so that we might live forever under His perfect rule who is the head of the body which is the church. Can I show you this in Ephesians chapter 1? Would you open your Bibles with me? Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to preach until our theology becomes doxology this morning, until what we believe comes forth in praise and worship to the God who has given all of his all. Can you disagree with me this morning? If you disagree with me, if you agree with me, say amen. God could not do more for us than he has already done. Just say it. Amen. Now let's stand together and read God's word. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start with praise in verse 6. 
We've talked about the Father. Let's look at the Son. Next week we'll look at the Holy Spirit. God is moving me in preparation for next Sunday, next Saturday, Sunday. I hope you'll be here because uh, I don't just have to say something. I have something to say. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things This is God's will and his purpose to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Fifteen times by my count. Fifteen times in fourteen verses the Apostle Paul talks about Jesus. He talks about the Father who chose us, but he says he chose us in Christ. He talks about the Father who predestined us to be adopted so that we might become like his firstborn son, Jesus Christ. Again and again, read it, he says, in him, in Christ, in him we have redemption, in him we have forgiveness of our sins, in him God has revealed to us his great plan for the ages, in Jesus Christ he has reconciled all things to himself so that Christ is the head and the church is the body and he goes on to say in verses 22 and 23 that when the plan is finally complete not only will the church live under the headship, the lordship of Jesus Christ But the whole world will as well, as he says in his letter to the Philippians, every knee will bow. That that means your knee and my knee. Every tongue confess. That means your tongue and my tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How, he says, to the glory of the Father. Paul will say to the church at Corinth, he will say to them, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, do what? glorify God. When we realize what God has done for us, we begin, he says in verse 12, just to be for his glory. We live for his glory alone because he has given us such great grace. I said it last week. I'll say it again. If we ever got a glimpse of his grace, we would give him glory. If we ever saw what he had done for us, we would not stop praising him. His sovereign grace has brought us into relationship with him, and he's done it all through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice first that he redeems us. Do you see it there in verse 6? He says it's in the Son whom he loves. The ESV says in the beloved. He's talking about Jesus. Make no mistake. And then in verse 7, 
he continues that thought and he says in him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption. That means he bought us through his blood. This is not unique in this passage. Just think with me for a moment about redemption. Think about Jesus saying in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the son of man came to do what? To give his life as a ransom for many. He goes on to teach us in the scriptures we read in Hebrews. Didn't Lester do a good job with uh, teaching us about Hebrews? Jesus once and for all sacrificed the story, he called it. Well, this is our story. The story is that the high priest entered once and for all and through his own blood, not the blood of lambs, he redeemed for himself a people. And we are that people. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. You were not purchased with perishable things like silver and gold. Wonder why we give so much attention to them if they're not the most valuable thing. He says, you were not purchased with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of God's own son. No wonder in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, all they can sing about in heaven is the lamb who was slain so that through his blood he might purchase people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation, including us. And so they sing, worthy is the lamb. You know that song? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. And in heaven, they sing that song all the time because Jesus is the focus and Paul is trying to help us get our theology and transform it into doxology to live for the praise of his glory because he gave us grace when he redeemed us anybody here like the redeemed songs I grew up loving the redeemed songs redeemed redeemed I love that song redeemed how I love to proclaim it redeemed and so happy in Jesus since I have been redeemed there is a redeemer Jesus God's own son precious lamb of God Messiah holy one thank you oh my father for giving us your son we'll talk about this one next week and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done I've always loved redeemed songs more recently a group saying his favorite song of all God's favorite song of all is the song of the redeemed To be redeemed, to be bought, to be purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ is a great gift. And I remember when I went with the choir and we were in Washington, D.C., some of you will remember, we were on that beautiful lawn as a... It's sort of a terrace lawn. Have you seen this? It cascades down from Congress down to Union Station. And they were, and you all were on the risers and were, were warming up. And it was, if you remember, it was a warm day. And I went and got some water to drink and I was walking down to Union Station that was the nearest access point to water and I came to that busy circle there and there was a man standing there in all the hubbub with a microphone and a tiny little speaker and he was from another country and he was singing at the top of his voice redeemed how I love to proclaim it his child and forever I am And I wondered as I watched him sing if I have ever sung with the passion he was singing with. If ever one time in my life, I mean, he was singing like he meant it. He was singing for all he was worth. He was singing as a missionary 
sent from a country to which we sent missionaries. He was singing as a missionary sent to the United States to to call us back to the God who called us to go to his country as missionaries. Would that make you sing? If you knew you'd been redeemed, would you sing? That's That's why Paul says to the praise of his glorious grace, because he knows what it means to have been redeemed, to have been forgiven. That's the word forgiven, released from his sins. And we need to be released. The word sins there is paroptoma, Our trespasses, the Bible has many words for sin, and coincidentally, we have many ways to sin. And and so he talks about the ways that we have stepped over the line. Anybody else here step over the line this week? Anybody, Anybody stumble? Anybody blunder? That's the word. Anybody trespass this week? We sometimes trespass and don't even know we've trespassed. David said, forgive me of my hidden faults. I'm thinking poor Dustin Johnson, the golfer's thinking still, what did I do? What did I do? He's in the PGA tournament. He's in first place. All he's got to do is hit the ball and hit the putt and he wins the whole tournament and he's, he's in a bunker, but he doesn't even know he's in a bunker. And turns out you can't touch your club to the ground in a bunker. Did you know that? I didn't, I'm not a golfer. I didn't know that. Dustin Johnson knew that, but he didn't know he was in a bunker. Or if he did, he forgot, and he touched his club to the ground, and he, he, he tried to make the putt, he missed it, but he thought, well, at least I'm in a three-way tie, I'm going to be in a playoff, and they said, yeah, you're not in. Why not? You touched your club to the ground. Ha! Caught you. You're in big trouble, buddy. Second place. You only make three bazillion dollars. You can't make five bazillion dollars. Must have gone home sad. Seriously. I mean, just to think, all he did was touch his club to the ground. I mean, wouldn't you think if you were a golfer, your club would touch the ground occasionally? And, and yet, and it's when you touch the ground. And sometimes we feel that way when we read the Old Testament law. We're like, whoa, I didn't even know. In moments of conviction, when we really see God's holiness as it really is, we realize we live in this unholy world and we've become accustomed to unholiness. And like, and like Isaiah, every once in a while, we get a glimpse of God in all his glory. We go, oh, Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm disintegrating because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and now my eyes have seen the king of glory and I had no idea what I was doing, God. I had no idea or I wouldn't have done that. Sometimes they're hidden faults. David goes on in Psalm 19, the next verse, verse 13, to say, and forgive me of my willful sins. I think about Albert Speer that man who um, was part of the Nuremberg trials. He was the only one who admitted that he had done anything wrong. And after he served his sentence, there was an interview, and, and uh, he came out of the prison, and they said, do you feel like you've atoned for what you've done? Is your conscience clear? He said, no, but I've written this book, and I think this is going to help me. And they said, after the book is published, and you tell what you've done and confess your sin, will you finally feel like your conscience is clean? And he said, I don't think it is possible for somebody like me to be forgiven. You ever feel that way? Like, man, I know the Bible says God forgives, but I can't even forgive myself. I love what Karl Barth said. He said, every, every day we ought to, we may, begin the day with this confession. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? For you? For others? Do you believe people like us can be forgiven? Mozart wrote in his requiem, at the end of his requiem, he said, remember, Lord Jesus, I am the reason for your journey. I think he remembers that we are the reason he came. 
We are the reason that he gave his life. We are the reason that he suffered and died to a world that was lost. He gave all he could give. You've been redeemed. You've been released. You've been forgiven of your sins. Doesn't that make you rejoice? He says, we hope for redemption. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But to receive him as our redeemer is also to receive him as our ruler. To know that he reconciles all things. He goes on to say, Jesus is the one who reveals the great purpose of God. Which, by the way, he says, is going to be accomplished. One thing you can bank on is God is going to do what he said he was going to do. You can count on that. You can take it to the bank. And what he says is God has revealed his great purpose for the ages. This mystery that's been hidden but now has been revealed. He says the same thing in Colossians chapter 1. What's Paul talking about? What's this big mystery that's been revealed in Christ? Here it is for Paul. Can you believe that Gentiles can be saved as well as Jews? That's what was hard for Paul. That's why he was headed to Damascus. Because he didn't think Gentiles could get in on relationship with God. He didn't think Jesus was the savior of the world. And then he came to realize and and the great mystery was revealed. And then he began to preach that very thing. It's why he says um, those who first hoped... In verse 12, and then he says in verse 13, and you also who believed, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, all coming under verse 10, one head, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to reconcile all things under his rule. He came to redeem us and release us. Praise God for that. He came to reconcile all of us and bring us, the word is gather together under his rule. Rule And what do we call that when he gathers us together? We call that church. We call that church. And God wants us to come together. Have you noticed the ways that we fragment in our culture? How we isolate ourselves, but he wants to gather us together. One man was visiting an insane asylum, and he noticed that there were 100 insane people, criminally insane, but there were only three guards. And he was nervous about that. Would you be nervous? He said, yeah, don't you ever worry that they're going to get together? One of the guards said, no, lunatics never unite. (laughs) They never come together. But locusts do, and Christians should, because then we would find our power. There is a force greater than every other force in this world, and that power is great enough to bring us together as the church. That's why I love the church, not because the church is perfect, not because the leaders of the church are perfect, but because the head of the church, Jesus Christ, really is perfect, and he's not going to stop until he perfects us. And so, is church perfect? Is it always what we want it to be? No, but Christ is perfect, and he's the one who brings us together. A friend of mine was telling me this week, he's saying, well, music will never bring people together because people know what they like and they like what they know you're never going to music will not be the common bond that brings all people together because we have diverse tastes don't we so music's not going to bring us together dare I say boy I I, you know I I don't believe sports is going to bring us together I notice this time of year everybody starts wearing their colors you know and they they start you know and, and what is it two weeks away in the football season you know and And I was just thinking about how at this time of year we feel hostility and animosity toward people whom we normally like just over a sporting event, you know? How how can the, as Nicodemus said, how can these things be? You know, and and just listen to him. We can come together. I mean, the Big 12 is not going to bring us together. But he says Jesus can bring us together. I was thinking about how, how a sooner 
Somebody say amen. A sooner can sit down beside a longhorn in church and they've got something together. Commonality. Isn't that amazing? You know, the, the, the Aggie and the Red Raider can sit down side by side under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The bear just wants to come to the table. You know, he just wants to be there. But he wants to bring us all together. The cowboy comes together with the sooner and the Aggie and the Longhorn and they all come together. Can I just, I have to confess because the Bible says confess your sins one to another. There's a certain basketball coach in our state who I just didn't like because he didn't like my coach. Anybody didn't like my coach, I don't like him. And you know, I didn't ever try to justify it biblically. I just didn't like him. And I was telling one of my friends about that out at Paisano and he said, oh, he lives in Austin. He said, oh, you don't know. That man is going to Austin Stone. He's seeking Christ. He's become a follower of Christ. And you know, the amazing thing was all my animosity just dropped right then. I was like, wow. I had no idea a guy like that could become a Christian. Man, (laughs) that is cool. You know, God saves everybody. And I just, I was grateful. And I confess to you, I mean, my attitude was just wrong about that. But the minute I realized he was a believer, I thought, man, I got to change my attitude about that guy. Because we have so much in common in Jesus that it doesn't matter which team we root for. Okay, I'm just going to keep meddling here. I'm going to keep walking until I step right off a cliff here. Politics is not going to bring us together. But Christ could bring us together because what we have in common in Christ is greater than what we have that divides us. He's greater than all of that. The centrifugal force of the world cannot overcome the centripetal force of the cross. Louis Giglio says the molecular unity of the universe depends on a substance called laminin, which is, by the way, interestingly shaped in the shape of a cross. It's a cross that's holding us together today. Paul says it's Christ who holds us together. So when um, um, Rice, the uh, novelist, Anne Rice, uh, talks about, um, she said, you know, 1998, I've become a Christian. And I was so excited about that. And she wrote novels about the lordship of Jesus Christ and stopped writing about vampires. And I thought that was cool. And then there came a moment recently when she said, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm renouncing my Christianity. I was like, wow, can, can you just jump in and jump out like that? You know, I mean, it just seems odd to me, you know, sort of hokey pokey Christianity in and out and in and out. And I was just trying to figure it out. And, and she said, no, I still am a follower of Jesus Christ. I just don't want to follow his followers anymore. Ouch. And she was talking about what bothered her about the church. And there's always going to be things. But can I just say, you know, I love parachurch organizations. I love how God uses these other organizations alongside the church. Can I just tell you, I have not given up on the church. I believe in the church. And I'll tell you why I do. Because Jesus believes in the church. He said, I will build my church. He calls the church here his body. He calls the church here his building. He calls the church in Ephesians his bride in chapter 5. We are his body, his building, his bride. You think Jesus is going to give up on his body? Can you separate the head from the body? Not without doing injurious damage, you can't. I know the body's not all it ought to be, but we have a great head in Jesus Christ. I know the building's not complete, but we've got a great builder in Jesus Christ. I know the bride is not perfect But we have an amazing bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's still working in our lives and forming us and conforming us to the image of his son. And he's doing all this so that all of us will come together under his lordship. He says in verses 22 and 23, he's not just going to be the head of the church. He's going to be the head of everything in this world. I read about a CEO named Sam Bronfman who walked into the uh, 
the boardroom and he sat down in the closest chair. There was a big conversation going on. He just sat down in the closest chair and one of the younger members of the uh, team said, hey, you, you need to sit at the head of the table. And he said, young man, wherever I sit is the head of the table. <laughs> I don't have to sit in that chair. I'm just the head wherever I am. Well, that's Jesus. You can put him in any room you want him to. You can put him beside Buddha. You can put him beside Muhammad. You can put him in any room you want to put him in. He's going to be the head. He will be in charge. He's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And the question is, will we, verse 12, choose to be for his glory alone? I was reading uh, the words of John Mackey, who in 1903 bought a, a New Testament for one penny. I think they were cheaper back then. And he opened to the book of Ephesians and started reading. He said, I was consumed with the cosmic Christ, that Jesus was the ruler of the whole universe. He read the book of Ephesians. It changed his life. And he said, ever after that, it was easy for me. It seemed natural for me to say these three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Could you say that with me this morning? Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord of all. And when we recognize his lordship, then we understand that he knows what he's doing. He reconciles us to the Father so that we might live together in relationship with each other so that husbands and wives might come together. Now I'm really meddling. Under the sovereign head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't understand chapter 5 where it talks about husbands laying down their lives for their wives and, and wives submitting to their husbands. We can't even understand that apart from the lordship and sovereignty of Jesus Christ. And the problem is not headship and submission. There's nothing wrong with the word submission. Paul believed in submission. The scripture teaches submission. But the way that people have practiced it sometimes has been a travesty. That's sin. That's not God. Sin didn't bring submission into the vocabulary of the universe. Sin just messed it up. And God is transforming it through his church. He's bringing us back together so that when it says God wants us to bring all things together, that means husband and wife together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So if the husband's a believer and the wife's not, the wife needs to come to Christ. If the wife is a believer and the husband's not, the husband needs to come to Christ because you're never going to be one. Marriage is never going to be as good as it could be until you are both followers of Jesus Christ. And all of this, he says, is according to in proportion to his grace that he has lavished on us. Now, years ago, they were having a, a conference on comparative world religions. C.S. Lewis walked in the room. They were having a big debate. He said, what's all the rumpus about? They said, we're trying to figure out what the unique characteristic of Christianity is. What did Christianity contribute to the landscape of religions in the world? C.S. Lewis, in his inimitable way, said, oh, that's easy. Grace. God's unmerited favor in the Lord Jesus Christ. God purposes that all people everywhere come together under his lordship. He wants us all to be one in Jesus Christ, and he will stop at nothing. There is a redeemer, Jesus, God's own son, precious lamb of God, Messiah, holy one. Thank you, O oh my father, for giving us your son and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your great grace, for your love and your mercy. Help us today, I pray, to be obedient to Christ in every way. Bring us together, Lord, because we are fragmented by, by any number of different things in our culture. But today, we would come together in Christ because Christ is enough. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.